You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, when I was in my 20s, uh, I was a youth pastor in Texas, and uh, every summer I would take our kids uh, up to Colorado to a camp, and we would go whitewater rafting. Now, uh, inevitably, what would happen is we would go whitewater rafting. We went with one of those outfitters that had the gear and had the guides, and they would pair you off and put you in rafts and then send you down the river. And at the end, you'd get on the bus and ride home, and an argument would break out uh, on the bus ride home of who had the coolest rafting guide. Uh, except for one year where I, without question, had the coolest rafting guide. Uh, but I didn't necessarily think so at first. I remember when we first showed up, they were splitting us up into groups. And I remember they took all of my friends and they put them in one boat. And then they put me in a boat uh, with all these little middle school kids. And I was like, what is the deal? I'm like, I have nothing in common with these kids. Other than the fact that we were all single and liked video games at the time. But beyond that, almost nothing. But I remember we got into the raft and uh, it wasn't five minutes down the river before we realized our guide uh, is not like the other guides. Uh, because as he was taking us down this river, he would start doing hand motions. And as he would do them, instantly all the other boats would react in unison. And I remember we began to look at each other like, who is this man that even the rafts obey him? Like, it's really wild. <laughs> and he's taking us down the river and teaching us how to steer this thing. And I remember as he did that, we were approaching the first set of rapids. And when we got there, there was a raft ahead of us that, uh, bless her heart, uh, there was a girl in the raft that, that maybe missed the part where you're supposed to hang on when the water gets rapid. And so uh, when, when they hit the rabbits, she just kind of bounced out of the raft, right? Now, what they had taught us in that moment was when that happens, priority one is get them out of the river. Like this water had been snow like five minutes ago. It was cold. So you're supposed to get them out. And they taught us you use buoyancy as your friend. And so you're supposed to lean over and grab them by their uh, life jacket and you dunk them and then pull them into the raft, right? And uh, so this girl went to do that. And uh, bless her heart. Uh, she grabbed this girl and dunked her and then almost got her and then dunked her and then was so close and then dunked her. And we were watching this like, okay, that can't be good. It's like the opposite of what we should be doing. And I remember our guide by that point had like abandoned hand signals and he just started yelling, get her out of the water, but it wasn't working. And so I remember at that point he looked at us and he said, oars in. And we pulled our oars in and he had his massive ones and he just began to row. And I remember as he did that, we're like, there is like a wake behind our boat. You're like, you could ski behind this thing. And he's just raging towards this girl. And I remember at that moment, as we were approaching, I was the closest to her. And I remember I started thinking that moment, like, I'm about to save this girl. I'm like, oh man, am I ready for this moment emotionally? And I started getting ready physically. Go, all right, dunk and pull, believe in yourself, dunk and pull. And as we're getting close, I never get to touch her. Because as soon as we come up, he does this like spin move with the oars that rotates the boat. So now he's the closest to her. And all in one moment, he jumps over there, pulls her under the boat, jumps back into our boat, rows us to the shore, looks at us and says, you boys okay? <laughs> and we were like, yes. And we worship you. That was the craziest thing we'd ever seen. And I remember the rest of the time, all this like, I don't really know you guys or why am I in this raft was gone. We're looking around like, can you believe this? And afterwards, everyone's getting on the bus and we're taking photos with our guy. Like, remember when we saved that girl? How awesome that was. And remember we got back on the bus and I'm sitting in the back with all these middle school kids, forget my friends, because we're in the back just laughing and talking about how cool it was to be in the boat with him while he accomplished his purpose to save. And that's a church. 
That's what we've been doing for five years. That's why we celebrate today. Because how cool is it that we get to ride with him while he accomplishes his purpose to save? People who say, I don't have anything with common. I barely know y'all. We have different jobs, different careers, different backgrounds, different stories. Yeah, but he put us in the boat. And we get to ride on this river to accomplish his purposes. And that's worth celebrating. That's who we are. And that's what First Thessalonians is about. Paul is writing to a young church and telling them, we're getting to ride with the king while he moves all of history for his glory and our good. And we get to do this together. And as we wrap up this book, he's talking to this church. But Paul, if you remember at the beginning, he had to leave them sooner than he would like. He had to leave them kind of unattended by the apostle. And so he's worried about them that they're going to make good decisions. And I remember once years ago, I was speaking at a camp and I was side stage, like about to go out in front of like thousands of kids. And uh, the worship leader was there too. And uh, he was there and he had his like 10 year old daughter with him. And the girl that was supposed to babysit her uh, never showed. And as the video's ending and worship's about to start, he's realizing like, there's no one to watch my precocious child and I gotta go out there and lead. And I'll never forget, I was standing there side stage with him and I watched him kneel down holding the guitar about to enter stage and he looks at her and he goes, make good choices. <laughs> and, then he walked, and I was like, okay, I don't think this is gonna go good. you know. And, and by the grace of God, Donna stepped in and watched this child. But um, that's kind of the feel of First Thessalonians. It's Paul had to leave this church quicker than he liked and he's writing this letter and he's just cupping our face as a church and going, make good choices. And if you notice here at the end, as he's wrapping up the letter, there's all this kind of staccato firing of like, do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that and be nice to them. And those guys got to kick him in the rear a bit. And he's kind of like helping them. Here's how you navigate. Here's the hallmarks of a healthy church. And I think it's cool. We didn't really map this out, but for this to land on our five-year Sunday, I mean, this is what a healthy church looks like. And as he does it, I'll just give you ahead of time what he's talking about. What, what are we? What is a church? It, it, it's a sanctified spiritual structure. That's what we are. Sanctified, submitted, spiritual structure. And, and some of the verses I read, some of the guys on our team uh, taught so well. So I'm not going to re-preach them. Like Thomas and Landon and Jacob did an awesome job of walking us through those top verses about how we are a structure. This is a structured organization of what we're doing here. And at the beginning of that, he starts talking about that structure. And he starts with, hey, we're going to honor those who serve as leaders. That's where he was in verse 12 when he says, we ask you brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. He says, hey, there's a group of people that I want you to respect and esteem. I want you to identify them and honor them. And who are they? It's the people who labor among you. Paul would use that language for those who, who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus and serve the people of Jesus. He says, and they're in charge of you. That, that means they take care of you. And then he says, they admonish you. That's not just teaching, but they're coaching you. So he says, hey, as you gather as a church, there's a group of people here that are working hard to take care of you and to coach you to be the best you're meant to be under God. And for us, if you didn't know this, man, before the sun came out, there, there was a clientele, a group of people in this room that showed up to create a space here for you uh, so where you could worship God. You could be who you're meant to be as a woman or man under God. And we call them our door holders. There are people who volunteer and there's people who lead those teams. Everything from worship to caring for kids to opening the doors for you, all this kind of stuff. There's people around us that are leveraging their life to create an environment where you can grow 
spiritually. And he says, hey, I just want you to identify them and I want you to honor them. That, that's what we did yesterday. That was the US conference that Alex mentioned is we pulled together everyone who serves and we threw a party at the 930 club and uh, brought in guest speakers to teach them and brought in food and had fun and just said, hey, there's some people among us that have served faithfully. We're going to honor those people and let them know what you're doing matters. And then in that, we even identified people who've been serving for five years uh, the, the length that we've been meeting on Sundays. Uh, and, and we pulled them out and said, we're gonna honor you specifically for five years of faithfulness of building this house. And, and so we leveraged into this. We're gonna honor those who serve among us. And so if you wanna obey the scripture, say, hey, once today I obeyed the word of God. Uh, as you leave, find someone who looks like they're serving and say thanks. And you nailed it. You nailed verses 12 and 13. So look at a door holder and tell them thank you. And if you wanted to cheer for them now, that would be appropriate. You make a choice. That's what we do. And he says, be at peace among yourselves in that because, hey, gratitude is the glue that keeps a community together, right? Uh, critique is cancer. You want to destroy a community, you just rip apart everything. The gratitude's the glue that holds us together. So he says, find the people working hard and honor them. And then he says, we don't just honor those who serve, we help those who struggle. And that's the next part. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. He says, admonish the idle. There's some people in Jesus' name, you just need to give them a swift kick in the rear and say, hey, it's time for you to move, okay? You've been searching for a church that's totally valid, but you're searching for five years, time to get off the dime, okay? Uh, it's time to be a productive member of society and use the gift God gave you to help other people know the God that you claim to know. So he's like, there's some people that you just need to push them, like, it's time for you to get involved, okay? It's time to move. But there's other people that says encourage the faint-hearted. There's some people that we need to put courage into their heart, that, that they don't need to be shamed into service. They're not serving because they're hurting. And you don't wag a finger at them. You, you extend a hand to them. And you say, hey, maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you've been discouraged spiritually. Maybe you've had a, a difficult environment around you. And, and we don't need to shame you. We need to help you. And we need to give courage to you. We don't need to beat you up. We need to build you up. And there's some of us in here, that's not a status you're meant to live in, but all of us have been through a season like this where you go, man, to be honest, my heart is fainting and I need someone with a strong heart to encourage me in the Lord and to help those who are weak. That, that's spiritually weak. I don't know anything about this. That's morally weak. I'm struggling with a, a, a different kind of addictions and tendencies that I know are unhealthy. My relationships are struggling or, or maybe it's physically weak. I, I went through some calamity. I got some difficulty physically, financially. We're supposed to come around and support people who are hurting and says, see to it that no one repays evil for evil, but everyone does good always to everyone. He said, hey, what he's saying there is I, I'm, God is collecting a group of people and we'll get on each other's nerves. And as soon as that happens, you have a choice. You can do evil back and critique each other and rip each other down or insult each other either to each other's face or behind, like be actively aggressive, passively aggressive. He's like, or we can each individually say, I'm gonna do what's good. And what I love about this movement in this text is uh, who are you most likely to grumble about? The people you perceive are ahead of you and the people you perceive are behind you. I think of it hiking because I've taken groups hiking a lot. And who do people tend to grumble about? The people who are leading the hike. You're going too fast. You're going too slow. There's not enough breaks. There's too many breaks. We tend to resent the person who's in front, right? Or it's the people who's back. Where'd they go? We lost them again. They're taking another photo. They're taking too long. Let's just ditch them and move. And we get mad at the people who are going too slow. And he says, spiritually, that's going to be our tendency. We're going to resent the people in front or resent the people in back. He says, you just got to acknowledge there's always going to be people on either side and you get to make the choice. I'm going to send honor up there and I'm going to send help back there because we're all going to ascend this mountain together. You see it? That's, that's the church. Amen? Yes? 
Yeah? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's who we are. Okay? Uh, we honor the ones ahead. We help the ones who are behind. Now, as soon as I say that, all that sounds motivational. If you're taking notes for your secular organization, your club you volunteer for, all of this is immediately transferable to something that's not a church. Yeah, we encourage those who leave and we help those who serve. Yeah, every group does that. Quantums do that. Uh, you know, everyone does that. Toastmasters do that. I don't know what organization you're in. They all do that. Nothing about that sounds spiritual. So what's a church? I remember uh, somebody told me recently, they brought a friend to church and, and they said, what'd you think about it? And he goes, yeah, it was interesting. It was kind of like a, you know, a TED talk with a little mini concert. That's great. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I guess. I mean, the church has been around longer than TED. Like we're not biting his style. He took ours. So just to be clear, uh, the church of Jesus Christ has existed quite a bit longer. But yeah, that sort of makes sense. If you just came on here, there's a little bit of a talk and then a little bit of a concert, but, but there's a lot more to a church than that. We're not just a structure. It's a spiritual structure. And that's where he starts to turn the corner in 16 and 17 and 18. Is rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for your life in Christ Jesus. That, that God's will for you is you have a disposition that transcends circumstance. This is where, where you start to get weird as a church. That your circumstances go high and low, but you're always rejoicing, always praying, always grateful. That, that, that we don't just honor those who serve and help those who struggle. We hone a disposition if I got joy even in the midst of pain, I got something to be grateful for even when my mouth is on the gravel, that I can celebrate God even in the midst of hard circumstances. How can we do that? Because we acknowledge God in Christ Jesus. People who only grumble only look at half the story. What's going wrong down here? But Paul told the Thessalonians at the beginning, you have joy in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he showed you what God is doing that yes, the world is broken, but God's done something about it. Yes, sin is destroying us, but we have a savior who's rescuing us. Yes, there's terrible things happening, but God's working all things according to the counsel of his will. There's an upper story. When we see that, we can trust him. We can honor him. We can acknowledge our dependency and acknowledge his sufficiency. That's why we pray without ceasing. I know I'm in need and I know you are here. And so I acknowledge you by faith and I'm gonna thank you for that. I got joy for that. I got gratitude for that. And I will confuse my coworkers and neighbors. Because they say, oh yeah, I volunteer with this organization and you volunteer with that one, but this organization doesn't make me happy when life's falling apart. But you either, you tend to uh, rejoice even in hardship. So you're either crazy or you know something we don't. He says, yeah, we're not just a structure. We're a spiritual structure. The Spirit of God is moving in amidst us and it makes us different than the rest of the world, right? So with that, he starts to talk about the Spirit. Here we go. And this is where, just to be honest, it gets a little weird. So I'd like to invite you with me as the Bible gets a little weird. All right, here we go. Verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. He says, as you gather together, don't quench the spirit. Uh, that word quench uh, in, in a literal sense means to put out a fire, to extinguish it, cause it to disappear. It's used other places in the New Testament to talk about there was a fire and somebody poured water on it and put it out. He says, don't quench the spirit, which makes sense because the spirit of God is often equated with a fire all throughout the Bible. Fire imagery kind of surrounds him. So in Acts chapter two, uh, when, when the church was born, which is kind of cool, several of us on staff actually went to Jerusalem, the place where the spirit of God arrived and the church of Christ was born. And, and those things we sing about, we like stood there where that happened. And when that happened in Acts chapter two, it says on Pentecost, the birth of the church, that Tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That, that the Spirit of God 
was, was manifest and it looked like fire that landed on the early church and they began to speak in the tongues of all these people from all these different nations and the church of Christ was born and thousands of people came to faith as the gospel was preached in their own language. So this powerful moment of the Spirit's arrival that Jesus said, I'm, I'm looking for and, and providing for you, it looked like fire coming into them. And, and Acts chapter 18 talks about Apollos, a guy who came to faith and it says he was fervent in spirit as he preached. That, that word fervent means to boil. Uh, it means to cook. It uh, means to be on fire. If you ever said like, man, that guy's on fire. You stole it from the Bible, right? Uh, and, and Apollos, when he came to faith in Jesus, man, he was on fire in the spirit is what it says. And, and it seems to indicate that, that he had a passion to proclaim this message. And words said to be the same way in Romans 12. He says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That we're meant to be on fire with the, with the spirit that wants to serve the Lord, right? Uh, and, and in both of those passages, it seems to be more about your personal spirit, that we're meant to be motivated to serve God. But uh, in John chapter five, it's talking about John the Baptist, which if you remember him, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And it says about him in John five, Jesus said of him, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And for me personally, that's one of the best descriptions of a believer in Jesus, what we're meant to be, a burning and shining lamp that when the Holy Spirit lands on us, and this was the great promise, you read it in the book of Ephesians, that when we believe in Jesus Christ, he says, you're marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, that, that I put my very spirit inside of you. And he says, he's the first fruits guaranteeing what's to come. Back then when you would harvest crops, people still do that, but maybe not many people who live in DC. Uh, when the first fruits come in, you'd celebrate because you're like, the harvest made it. And you get the first of the fruits and that gives you an indicator and a confidence the rest of the harvest is coming. And he says, when you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit of God enters you and that gives you confidence that all that God is doing will be consummated in the eternal state. That I get confidence that God's gonna do what he said he's gonna do. He is faithful, he will do it. And so the spirit landing in us is a promise guaranteeing what's to come. So he's like, hey, you want the spirit to come. The spirit's arriving in people. And when he does it, there's a burning and a shining. Shining is illumination. That the Bible tells us the spirit of God inspired this word and the spirit of God helps us understand this word. And so there's an illuminating element to the spirit working among us. The spirit who inspired this word helps us understand it. But there's also a burning and he gives us a passion for it, that we love this word. We're excited about this word. This isn't just an academic exercise. That's why we don't just have a professorial class. We're meant to not just learn this, but learn it and be lit up by it, yeah. motivated by it, changed by it, burning and shining because the spirit of God is working in our midst, right? Now you hear that and you go, okay, well, then what does it mean to quench the spirit? Uh, well, what's interesting is the spirit is presented like this fire. That's what makes us different. We're, we're not like other organizations. We've got this whole other engine that drives us, a power that moves us. It was fascinating. Last night, I don't know about you, my power went out and all that wind. Uh, we live around these big trees. And so every time it's windy, uh, limbs fall and wires get hit. And I looked at my wife last night. And uh, as soon as we heard the wind hit the windows, I was like, we're about to lose power. And as soon as I hit the R in power, the lights went out. And she was like, were you prophesying just now? You know, like, she didn't say that, but it was kind of like that. And, uh, you know, typically when that happens, our little children would run in the room like, Mom, Dad, we can't see, darkness, terrifying. Uh, but it was my mom that ran upstairs and was like, it's dark, I can't see, it's spooky down there. And we're like, it's okay, Mom, we'll light a candle. Um, but my children, we had given headlamps when we went hiking. And it was interesting, the provision of that light change the disposition of my children. Whereas before, when they were in darkness, they panicked. The funniest thing happened. We walked in the hallway and, and Boppy's freaking out. 
And my 10-year-old Hannah and my little sparrow, they have their headlamps on and they walk out of their room. And, and this, is, this is how Hannah walked out. She goes, Dad, you good? You good? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I'm good. But this power empowered her. I'm in a different zone. I got a light. And this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. So I'm good. You good? We got something else. And we got the burning and shining light of God in our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ. We're different. We're different. And he says, don't, don't put that out. You don't want that out. You want that burning. So what does it mean to extinguish the spirit? How do we not, do, how do we not become a dead church? No one plants a dead church. No one says, let's start a church that, I don't know, slowly fades and it's terrible. No one does that. So, so how, how do you quench the spirit of God? How do you do that? I don't think he's talking about the fruit of the spirit. Uh, in, in Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the spirit being the moral renovations that happen when, when you put your faith in Jesus and he begins to change it from the inside out. He says the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these different moral renovations that happen. I love people I used to not like and I have peace where I used to have panic. I have self-control where I used to be completely out of control that, that God begins to work on me and I'm not perfect, but he's perfecting me by his grace. So those are in the Bible often called the fruit of the spirit. It's the, it's the indicator that he's working inside of me that this moral renovation happens. I don't think he's talking about that here. I think he's talking about the gifts of the spirit, which he talks about in 1 Corinthians. These are actions that manifest the spirit working in us for the common good. They're often called charismatic gifts uh, that, that God gives. And, and particularly, I think the issue here is prophecy. And you see it in the next verse. He says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy. I think that rhythm there is telling you, he's like, this is what I'm talking about. Don't uh, quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy, but test everything, hold fast to what is good and abstain from evil. I think his issue here is prophecy, which makes sense because all throughout the Bible, the, the spirit of God and prophecy are, are kind of linked together. Uh, in, in Micah, chapter three in the Old Testament, Micah says, as for me, he says, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin, which incidentally is a good summary of what a prophet did in the Old Testament. A lot of times, if, if you haven't really read through the Old Testament, you tend to think, oh, the prophets are the one who just told the future. Then you read them, you're like, there's not a lot of future in here. Yeah, uh, they would do that, but they were way more confronting the people of God in the present. If you read to the prophets, they would do this. The spirit of God is on me to confront you about your sin. That's what the prophets would do. Uh, they would look back at the covenant God made with his people in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. It says, this is the covenant we made with God. And then in the present, they would say, and we're not being faithful to it. And he told us if we persist in that, he can't bless us. So the blessing stops. And if we persistently disobey, he's gonna judge us. And so when they start telling the future, they're like, judgment's coming because we haven't done what he said we were meant to do. And he can't bless that. But then they say, but when God judges, if we confess and repent, he brings grace and he brings mercy. And that's when they would start talking about the Messiah coming one day. So they would talk about the future, but it was rooted in the past of what God had said to his covenant people. You see that? And what's interesting about prophets in the Old Testament is they worked outside the structured hierarchy. Uh, so kings came from a lineage, uh, the line of David. Uh, priests came from a lineage like Aaron and the Levites. Prophets, it could be a fig picker. <laughs> Amos is showing them, like, Spirit of the Lord's on me. You guys are a mess. Ahab, stop. You guys, and like, they would come in and be like, who are you? We didn't vote for you. But it's like, no, God would, God created this mechanism 
by which he could judge even those in authority. That, that no one in authority is exempt from being judged by the word of God. And so God created this whole system uh, where there were checks and balances. It's crazy, isn't it? How uh, he just copied America in that way. But, um, oh no, it's the other way around. That we just realized we need these checks and balances and, and God created this structure. And then what's crazy in the book of Acts is, uh, you know, when the spirit falls, everyone starts coming out and starts speaking in these different languages. And some people are like, dude, they're speaking in my language. How are they doing that? And other people are like, ah, they're drunk. And so Peter's first sermon is like, we're not drunk. That was his opening uh, statement. And then he gives two reasons. He's like, one, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's way too early, which clearly he's never been to the airport in Atlanta. Uh, but then his second point is he said, hey, this is what the prophet Joel said would happen. And then he quotes Joel. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. He says, hey, when the spirit of God comes after the resurrection of Jesus, he said, it doesn't just occupy a class of people. He says, old and young will be proclaiming the word of God. Men and women will be proclaiming the word of God. Free and slave will be proclaiming. He's like, it's like the, the spirit of God is gonna, gonna move in all kinds of people that maybe don't necessarily fit in some neat boxes. And then you see in places like Romans and 1 Corinthians that uh, there are people that tend to do some of these charismatic gifts more where other people are gifted with leadership, other people are gifted with service, but there's all these different gifts God gives for the building up of his church. And so you see in like 1 Corinthians 4, 3, which we won't teach all of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about different spiritual gifts, these manifestations of the spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Then he says later in verse 12, so with yourself, since you're eager for a manifestation of the spirit, strive to excel at building up the church. He says, when the spirit of God lands among his people, he gifts us. And the reason for that gifting is to build us up, to encourage you, to comfort you, to make us stronger as a community. And so if you go, okay, so the, the spirit of God that Jesus released is meant to help us build each other up and encourage each other. Why would the Thessalonians quench that? Why would they want to stop that? Why would they say, no, 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 we don't want that? Well, we don't have a direct reason in this verse, but, but he says, don't despise it. That, that, that doesn't mean just, I don't want to hear prophecy. It means to reject it with some attitude. And he says, why do they have this attitude against it? And, and there's a couple of reasons probably why. Number one is, is maybe bad usage in the culture. That the Thessalonians, many of them weren't from a Jewish background. They were from a pagan background. And so they would go to religious services where the, a prophetess or a prophet would kind of enter an ecstatic moment and then prophesy, tell the future in the midst of this ecstasy. And uh, they were like, dude, that was crazy. And it was always a little crazy and we're sort of done with crazy. And uh, so when someone in the church was like, they're like, stop, no, 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 no. And they were like, we just don't even want to deal with it, right? And, uh, and there was this whole movement, and we won't read it all, but uh, Cicero and Epicureans and different philosophers were rising up in, in Greek and Roman culture that were looking at some of these kind of cults around the culture, and they were like, yeah, I just think that's all fake. I just think it's buffoonery. I think it's silly. And so there was a rising philosophical movement that said any sort of manifestation of the spirits is, is just kind of dumb. And so some people may say they were just looking at the external culture and say there's abuses of a fake spirituality and there's kind of a pessimism about any spirituality and maybe some of that was getting into the church. Or it may have been bad usage in the church. Uh, and some of that may be people in the name of the spirit giving bad counsel. Actually, that's a, 
probably the clearest evidence we have because in 2 Thessalonians, Paul's follow-up letter, he's writing to them and he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect of the day the Lord has already come. He says, hey, there's people showing up and saying, spirit of the Lord's on me, I'm prophesying. Jesus already came back and y'all missed him. We missed him. He's gone. Freak out, freak out. And Paul's like, hey, da, da, da. Those guys are super fired. Like, they actually never even worked here. So uh, don't listen to them. They didn't come from us. So there's some people who claim on, on, on TikTok and Instagram and on YouTube uh, that they speak for God. And he's like, yeah, don't, don't listen to them. So there's, within the church, bad teaching that masquerades as spiritual. And there probably was just some people acting crazy in the church in the name of the Spirit, right? Uh, That's what he tells the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, again, we won't read it all, but he says, hey, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. He said some people, they they, they wanted to um, grab control even when they weren't in the hierarchy of structure. And so they wanted to display ecstatic acts of the gift to show they're more spiritual. And in Corinth, they were just getting wild. And the church in Corinth was was wiling out and people being crazy. And he just told me, he's like, one person speaks at a time and stop getting drunk at communion. And there was all kinds of stuff he had to tell the Corinthians. And he was like, you guys need to calm down. <laughs> he's like, the spirit of the prophets is the subject of the prophets. Like, stop acting crazy. This is a controlled environment. So the Thessalonians, that's not what he says to them. They're probably looking at Corinth and be like, man, those people are nuts. We're not doing that. And, and, and Paul's trying to strike a balance, like a fire. You don't want to pour water and pour the fire out, but you don't want it to rage crazy and burn your house down. So what's a controlled way to let the fire burn, right? And so he says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecy, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So when someone comes up to you and says, hey, I got a word for you from the Lord, your response is, maybe. That's the official Christian response. Yes? That's what he says. Uh, Test it. Mm, Let me hear it. Let me see. Now, here's the important question. By what criteria? He says, test it and hold on to what's good. Don't hold on to what's evil. How do we do that? First John 4 says, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's a lot of fake out there. How do you know God's really speaking? Some of you are that. You're here and you're like, okay, this is a spiritual organization. I want to be a spiritual person. You're claiming to have spiritual authority. How do I know you're right? How do I know, you're, how do I know any of this whole operation's right? How do you know? He gives us a criteria in the Bible to judge the Holy Spirit as opposed to other spirits, right? And I'm just going to give you the ABCs, okay? It'll be easy to remember, ABC. Everyone still with me, class, by the way? Okay. Like I said, this talk's a little weird, but, you know, I'm trying to help y'all. A is apostolic witness. Uh, The apostles were Jesus' official emissaries he spent a lot of time with, and he said, I'm downloading to you what I'm saying about how God works, and if you don't believe me, uh, I'm going to do miracles and then I'm going to die and not stay dead. So that should kind of sort that out. And then you be my official emissaries to the world. And so the first criteria of if when someone says I'm speaking for God or I got a spiritual word or whatever you go, okay, does it conform to the apostolic witness? Um, where are you getting that from? Well, in 2 Thessalonians, remember we said, don't be disturbed by them. He says in verse 15, brothers, stand firm, hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He says, so if someone comes later and disagrees with the gospel of Jesus, don't listen to him. 
So if they, they come in America and they, they say, I got a new word from the Lord and you got to disobey this, I got the complete word, like, no, no, we don't believe you. We already got the official emissaries giving us his word. First uh, Corinthians 12 now says, concerning spiritual gift, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So he says, in your past, you went to all kinds of places to try to guess the future and you were led astray. So horoscopes, all that family, you're done. That's not what the people of God don't go to some other spirit to get advice on your dating life, right? You don't do that. Uh, what do we do? Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's like, you want to know the spirit of God? The spirit of God acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. So it starts with the person of Jesus. First John 4 says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So not just there was a spirit named Jesus or there's a feeling called Jesus. No, he actually came, actually lived, actually died, actually rose. That guy, we believe that guy. And there are churches that, that believe Jesus is a motivational individual. We believe he was far more than that. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus, not from God. It's the spirit of the antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you're from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world. The world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's not talking about us like me. He's talking about the apostles who, who the spirit of God inspired to, to write down the, the life and the teachings of Jesus. So when someone says to you, I got a word from the Lord, you go, let me test it. How do you do it? Based on the book. If what you say gel with what this says, these words. The B is, does it build up the church? And we read that in 1 Corinthians 14, right? The one who prophesies speaks for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So that's the criteria of purpose and intent. If someone says, man, I feel like the Lord wanted me to say this to you, does it build up the people of God? Or does it just build up that person? Uh, criteria three is the character of the person who said it. That's an interesting one. That's the one Jesus gave us in Matthew 7. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. Diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree can't bear good fruit, nor can a diseased tree or healthy tree can't bear bad fruit. Diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Yikes. Thus you shall recognize them by their fruits. So he says there's a doctrinal test and then there's like an ethical test. Let me watch your life. What's the fruit of your labor? It's interesting. I just knew this from when, when people planted churches. They say whenever you start a church, as soon as it starts, that's when it's most vulnerable in its leadership, people will come out of the woodwork and try to grab the wheel. And I had so many people claiming to speak for God trying to get on this stage. And part of the staff's act of love for you is just to Mckimbe to tumble all of them. Just like, no, 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 boom. Just like, <laughs> boom. Well, the Spirit of God said, I'm supposed to lead it. No, boom. Just all these people that like, just wanted to come in and it wasn't about building you up and, and they, they had no connection with serving the church. They just wanted to come and grab power and authority. And uh, it's like, no, 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 no. Let, let me watch your life. Are you discipling people? Are you serving people? Are you sharing with people? Let me watch your life. Are you faithful? If, if none of that's happening, then I don't know that I really need to listen to you. So we don't reject them outright, but we test it, right? And uh, historically, if you look at when has God moved in revival, 
And it's interesting that the language of revival is so popular now in the culture. Let me just tell you this. Whenever God moves in power in revival, crazy always buys the house next door. And you saw it early in America when revival broke out. People were weeping and confessing sin and repenting and loving Jesus. And other people were like, yeah, and bark like dogs and bark the devil up a tree. And people were like, wait, what? Oh, oh okay. All right, maybe we're supposed to. And you're like, no, don't no, get up. Don't stop. And, and you realize like, oh, it gets a little confusing. And it's always like that because humanity's messy. So Paul's like, don't put out that the spirit of God's moving. And sometimes he won't fit in your neat boxes but don't necessarily carte blanche believe at everybody either. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but, you know, test the water and see who's been in it and, you know, kind of see what's going on in there by the ABCs. Does that make sense? Uh, again, this, this is getting a little weird, but I'm just telling you this is how it works. So let me give you two examples. Y'all want some stories and then we'll get out of here? Whether you do or not, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to do it. But let me give you two ways I've seen this work. Because y'all are like, prophecy, what is he even talking about? Um, I'll give you a story I've never told in public before about how we got started here. Uh, I led a ministry in Texas called Breakaway and loved it. It was on the campus of Texas A&M, thousands of college students coming every week. God was moving in power. I was really happy to be a part of it. Uh, but I started to feel my time at Breakaway might be coming to a close. And I didn't know, I'm like, is that just like I'm tired? It's April. Like, what does this mean? And so I didn't like act on it. I didn't say, well, that feeling's clearly God. I'm like, I don't know. And so Don and I would just pray about it a lot. And as we were praying about it, we we would seek wise counsel. And, and as we were doing that, I realized, hey, there's some things about Breakaway I need, to, I need to shore up. I don't want it to be a ministry that's just built on a personality. We need to make sure it's, it's, it's solid and stable and can live beyond me. And, and I had that clarity and really went for that. And, and it was now, in retrospect, I was grateful because in that season was when my dad got really ill and my dad was, was dying and I needed to be there to, to take care of my dad in, in various ways. And so I remember we got to this point where as Don and I kept praying for it, we just kept feeling our time at Breakaway's ending. We're wrestling with that. It's good. God's blessing. Why would we leave? But we just couldn't get rid of this feeling. And, and, and we started to talk with other people and started to pray about, are we supposed to move? Are we supposed to lead a church? And I remember laying in bed one night with Donna and I said, anytime I pray about starting a church from scratch, I, I feel like the Lord's not in that. I just can't get clarity around that. But anytime I think of like taking the leadership role in, in an existing church, that doesn't feel clear. And I'm like, but there's nothing in between. So I don't even know what I'm asking. And then a long story short, I went and spoke at this event and uh, it was uh, David Crowder leading worship and Louis Giglio and me speaking to about 100 high school kids. Very unique collection, (laughs) unique moment. And uh, I couldn't tell if the kids cared whatsoever in anything we said. It's very hard to discern. But I remember we went to coffee, Louis and I, and he just said, uh, uh, hey, I'm glad uh, we're having this meeting. He said, I I want to talk to you about launching a Passion City Church that's not Atlanta, somewhere else in the world. And, uh, you know, we would launch you, so it wouldn't be like you just starting from scratch, but uh, it wouldn't be taking over something old. It'd be a new work. And I'm like, that sort of bizarrely fits in the middle. (laughs) So I just told him, I'm like, I may be more open to that than you think. And so we started having conversations about it, and I was like, "Um, how's this going to work, and in what city and he was like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I'd need to know the city before I like made a move. And he was like, maybe you should just move to Atlanta. And I'm like, but that's the one city I'm not going to be in. And he's like, well, just move to Atlanta and we'll pray and figure out what city. And I'm like, that's the craziest what? 
Like give up what I'm doing to go somewhere at some point? It's a terrible idea. But I just felt like maybe my time of breakaway was ending, but this is like Louis promising me vaguely somewhere on the planet. I'm like, I don't like this at all. And it started to really stress me out. And in the middle of that, my dad's health's failing. And I remember I'm just worried about this. And I get a call one day in the morning. Hey, uh, we just got a, a message that your dad might be in a hospital in San Antonio, but no one could find him. So I start calling around hospitals, find out when he's in. They're like, actually, we're about to have surgery on this man. I told Don, I'm like, I got to drop everything and go. So I drive to San Antonio, and I show up there. My dad's in his hospital bed, and I'm skipping a lot of details. But we get to this moment where it starts to land on me. This might be the last time I see him, right? And so we're in this room, and, you know, you always want to plan out that moment, but you don't always get to plan it. They had a sitter in the room, which is a nurse that, that sits in case the person's a runner, you know? So they're, like, just sitting there, and she's sitting there watching him. And I'm like, all right, well, the three of us are going to have this moment. And so I kneel down, and... Uh, I just start pouring out my heart to my dad. Tell, tell him I forgive him for some things I need to forgive him for. Ask him to put his trust in Jesus before he meets him. And like just everything that you want to say that you don't want to left unsaid before they die. So I lay all that out. I'm kneeling by him. It's awkward because we didn't necessarily always talk like that. But I'm holding his hand, telling him all this because I don't know what's going to happen to him. And I remember as I stand up, he goes, hey, are you going to leave Breakaway and go to Passion? I'm like, what? <laughs> we didn't even talk about that. And I was like, well, I don't. I don't know. And as soon as I say that, the sitter goes, oh my gosh, you're the breakaway guy? I was just texting my friend about that. You are famous. And I'm like, what? Why are you texting you? Oh my God, you're like live tweeting this vulnerable moment? And I freaked out and left. I just left the room. I was like, ah, and left. And I was driving and I was like, oh my God, like my staff's gonna find out. I'm thinking about leaving. Like this is gonna be crazy and I can't handle that. And, and when I was younger, I used to get chest pains, like really bad. And they'd take me out like, four or five days, but I hadn't had them in years. And suddenly they start. I'm driving, I'm like, oh God, like I don't, I just can't do this. And, and I remember I got frustrated with God. I was like, God, I think you're calling me to leave, but you're not telling me where to go and there's some random place and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And now this girl's probably telling the whole planet, she's tweeting about it. And I was like, God, and I, I remember yelling, I don't even know who to call. My phone starts ringing. I grabbed the phone, and this is the guy I went to seminary with. We're not close friends, but close enough to have each other's numbers. And so I decided to answer it, which, again, as an introvert, I never do. <laughs> I answered the phone, and uh, he's a Presbyterian, and he was like, uh, hey, man, like, uh, I know this is weird, and it's probably nothing, but I had a dream about you last night and just couldn't get out of my mind, thought I was supposed to tell you, and I'm not saying it's from the Lord. I don't really know, like, but I just I couldn't get it out of my mind. I was like, dude, I get that you're a Presbyterian. You're not one of my more charismatic buddies. <laughs> just tell me a drink. And he was like, well, man, I wasn't going to share it. He said, but I just kept getting the sense that you were distressed about where you were supposed to go and you were in San Antonio for some reason. I kind of turned the blinker on and exited, <laughs> parked the car. I was like, lay it on me, man. And he goes, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but a coworker of mine came in and he had a dream about you too. And I was like, okay. He said, in his dream, he was sitting at Breakaway and you were on stage and you were preaching. He's like, you know, in dreams, you can't really hear what someone's saying. He said, you were preaching. He said, but he knew he could sense like everything you were saying was gold. It was a gospel. It was faithful. And he said, and no one was listening. He said, and it was bothering my friend. Like everything he's saying is good and they're not hearing it. And he said, my friend was like, it was like God was saying like, Ben still got a voice, but this isn't his crowd. And I started crying because I'm like, ah, oh, man, that's kind of what I was like he was saying to me. 
I'm like, all right. And he's like, and then in my dream, he said, you were, you were like grabbing my shirt. He said, and you were distressed. And, and he said, you were, you were trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. And you were trying to figure out who's going to tell you where to go. He said, and I, and I just felt like I needed to say to you, no one's going to tell you where to go. And then he made up this part. He goes, Ben, I don't even know who your mentors are. Because like I said, we weren't that close friends. He was like, Louis Giglio can't tell you where to go. He said, um, I just think God wants you to hear. He's your father. He sees you. Trust him. He'll tell you. And he goes, man, I don't know. Like, does any of that make sense? <laughs> and instantly the chest pains were gone. And I was like, uh, yeah, that does make sense. I am in San Antonio. He's like, are you about to join a church in San Antonio? I'm like, no, don't guess. Stop guessing. No. <laughs> I said, but I am in the middle of this big decision and I have been sensing that maybe my time at Breakaway is done. I have been thinking about going someplace else and I have been distressed about where I'm supposed to go. And this is where, what I knew about my friend, he's a real pastoral guy. He just goes, Ben, how much does God love you? He said for him, and then he gets dramatic, to climb in the director's chair, to call action and to film a movie in my head to wake me up in the middle of the night to get me to get on my knees and pray for you that you would believe that he's a father who loves you. How much does God love you? And I'm like, I don't know, Andrew, to be honest. I'm working on it. But I listen to him and I'm like, at the end, he never told me where to go. And I wouldn't have, honestly, just me, I wouldn't have believed him if he did. Probably, I don't know if that part's right or wrong, but I'm just like, if you're wondering who your pastor is, I'm this guy. Uh, and I'm like, mm. but I'm like, but you're telling me that God is a father who works all things according to the counsel of his will and that I'm meant to trust him. I believe you. And I think it's good that I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't asking for it. Jesus said an evil generation seeks a sign. I wasn't looking for a sign. I wasn't asking for a dream. I didn't have it. But I'm in the middle of a decision and I sought wise counsel. I sought other people's advice. Talked a lot with Donna. But God sent someone to speak a word that, that I'm like, I think that's right. And he didn't work for me. And, and I think he'll do that with each other. We have, we have to be humble about it. But I think he does stuff like that. I'll tell you a more practical one just recently at Passion Conference. As we were heading to minister to these thousands of college students, uh, I was praying like, Lord, what do you want us to do with these students? How do you want us to lead them? And you know what kept coming to my mind? How God speaks most clearly to me and I think to all of us? His word. And, and, and 1 Thessalonians, where Paul said, we, we love you so much. We share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you've become so dear to us. He was like, I loved you so much. I, I shared the word in me. And then he says, we were like a nursing mom, just caring for you, wanting you to grow. And we were like a father exhorting you and calling you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I was like, that's what I just keep, every time I pray, I go to that verse. We, we were motherly and fatherly. And I just kept praying that, like, that's my prayer for all of us as we preach, that it'd be, have a motherly spirit, a fatherly spirit, that we'd really care about seeing them grow and seeing them build up. And I'm praying that. And as I'm praying that, I get to the conference and I don't tell anybody that, but some of the other speakers just kept saying, like, like three of them were like, I got kids around these kids' age and I want my kids to know God and I want my kids to trust him. And then I remember we were in a prayer meeting before and, and I was like wrestling with God. I'm like, do I share this verse that's on my heart or not? And at the end of the meeting, somebody else is running it. One of the women in the meeting goes, 
hey, is it okay if I share something? Real humble demeanor. Like, yeah, and she goes, I was just praying last night, and as I was praying, I just kept seeing this picture in my mind of, of the stage, but it wasn't a stage, it was like the throne. And there was a kid, and he was having trouble walking, and he was covered with like this technology that was hindering him. And this father was coming to the kid who was hesitant to come to the throne. And this father was just saying like, go to him, go to Jesus. Let me help you get to Jesus. She's like, I just kind of felt like this, this fatherly heart telling this kid wrapped up in technology, go to Jesus. And when she said that, I'm listening, I'm testing. And I'm like, that sounds like 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 through 12. I think that's right. I think that's what God put on my heart. So as a church, to let you know, we are guided by God's word. We are controlled by this word. And yet God wants us to say, but, but the spirit of God who inspired this moves among us. And, and, and yes, I'm the primary teacher here, but, but you may have something to encourage your brother or sister and you're meant to do it. And, and you may have something and it's meant to encourage us. Now, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, man, the spirit of God is just telling me you're supposed to give me all your money and break up, you just go like, mm, I don't know. Let me make some calls. I'm not saying believe everybody, but I'm saying let's not put out a, a, a fire of the Holy Spirit in this place. I'm going, the Word of God guiding us, the Spirit of God filling us, let's move together. And, and ultimately, where's He aiming us? May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. It's not about a personality. It's about the Prince of Peace. It's about God will sanctify us. And then I love it, He says, and He will do it. Do you see that? Won't He do it? Won't he do what? Sanctify you. Not necessarily give you that car or that money or that boyfriend or girlfriend, but he'll make you holy. Well, that's not what I asked for. Well, (laughs) it's what you're going to want when the king comes back, that I'd be holy and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says. And I love that Paul ends there. We're on Palm Sunday, the day the King of Kings rode into Jerusalem and he rode on that donkey weeping, John tells us, because the city didn't see its king on the day of his coming. And here 1 Thessalonians ends and Paul says, and he is coming back. And when the king's coming, we want to be ready. We want to see him. We want to say, I'm yours. We're going to say, I'm his. We're going to say, I lived for you. I was about you. And so I kissed the brothers. That, that wasn't sexual. That was family. And he says, kiss all of them. We're all family in Jesus. And read this word to all of them because there's no second-class citizens here. We're all family guided by the word of God and the love of God for each other. And together in word and truth and spirit and truth, walking together, we will together honor those who serve and help those who are weak and journey together, trusting God with a spirit of humility, submitted spiritual structure, chasing after the king we'll see in a glorious sunrise. That's who we are. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.